1: Oh, yeah. Many of us are broken. I tell you, COVID has left so many of us broken and we're trying to recover. In fact, I've actually seen the evidence of those that are recovering and finding a new way to deal with loss and grief. Well, everyone experiences loss and grief, if only from breaking up with someone or having aging parents or kids or children, I should say, leaving home. As we learn from the people who must cope with the more catastrophic situations of ambiguous loss, yes, I've never heard that term before, ambiguous loss, we learn how to tolerate the ambiguity in our more common losses in everyday life. Now, in her new book, yes, her name is Dr. Pauline Boss, the myth of closure ambiguous loss in a time of pandemic and change uh this was released on december 14 2021 if i'm not mistaken a renowned grief expert and psychologist pauline boss phd tackles how to deal with even more loss in the age of covid 19 and the beginning of a war in the ukraine dr boss is joining us right now how are you and welcome
2: thank you very much it's a pleasure Geraldine. It's
1: a pleasure to have you on. Help us understand what ambiguous, ambiguous loss really is.
2: It's, it's simply an unclear loss. Uh, and I, I chose the title for it uh, back in the 1970s um, that uh, is very illustrative of, of it, what it is. Um, I didn't want it to be a medical term. I wanted it to be a term ordinary people would understand, even somewhat a poetic term. Uh, that means an unclear loss, and those are the losses that never were identified. We all know what a death is there 's a death certificate and and uh, sympathy cards and rituals at uh, at the church and people gather at least at least before the pandemic they did um, but with ambiguous losses, nobody notices, which is all the more confusing for the people who are experiencing it experience it. Um, more severely would be what we're seeing on TV now in the Ukraine, where families are separated. You don't know if they're dead or alive uh, or if you'll meet again. Uh, it's very painful kind of loss. My first research was on um, the missing in action families, the MIA families, where soldiers were missing in action in Southeast Asia. That's physical, ambiguous loss. But there's also psychological ambiguous loss, as with Alzheimer's disease or dementia or brain injury, where the person is in front of you, but they're gone. They're, not, they're here, but not here. So these two types of ambiguous loss were never identified before as a loss or needing grieving.
1: That is remarkable. Um, Knowing that you did not stumble over this, you really uh, made it make sense to just about any individual in reading about this. So when you take a look at ambiguous loss and those generations that are dealing with that, I would look at it and say every generation today has ambiguous loss. Would you agree?
2: Exactly. And, and worse than that, uh, there is cross-generational suffering, cross-generational trauma from it. Uh, for example, with slavery, with every war we've had, with the Holocaust, uh, with the genocides from the beginning of time, um, that, those kinds of disappearances of people uh, where the loved ones left behind don't know if they're dead or alive or if they're coming back those are extra traumatic for families. And those stories are, and reactions are passed on down through the generations. People don't forget about that, just as people today won't forget about the pandemic when loved ones were lost and you couldn't be with them, or, or what we're seeing on TV right now. People won't forget that. It will affect future generations.
1: But how will they heal if they never forget
2: Well, healing is not quite the right word to use with loss and grief. What you want to do is have an acceptance of the loss, which, of course, is terribly uh, uh, difficult if you don't know if the person is really dead or not. So you have to use a different approach with ambiguous loss than you do with death. Uh, With ambiguous loss, you have to use both and thinking. He's both gone and maybe not. He's both dead and maybe not. Or with, with um, psychological ambiguous loss, like dementia, you'd say, she's here, but she's also gone. So that kind of both-and thinking is as close to the truth as you can get with ambiguous loss. There isn't one absolute answer.
1: There are so many people that are on board with this ambiguous loss, and I'm just curious to know how you were able to put this out into the universe and have so many go, oh, my goodness, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we need to call it. Uh, You must have been very excited to hear from so many experts and people who have dealt with ambiguous loss and really understand
2: it. Well, I'm a professor emeritus. I've been at the University of Wisconsin first and then the University of Minnesota for many years just doing, you know, the hard work of science and research and theory building and teaching. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, um, professors publish so they don't perish. So I, I like writing, um, but in the academic books primarily. And then, then when I was at Harvard for, as a visiting professor, that was the first book on ambiguous loss published in 1999. And it went around the world. Um, and it's I sold over 40,000 copies, I believe, by now. But the, And then there were several other books as well, one called um, Loving Someone Who Has Dementia, another one called Lost Trauma and Resilience, which also has been translated into many languages. And then the current, current book, uh, The Myth of Closure, has just taken off uh, right away. Uh, which is unusual for me. And uh, so I am indeed surprised, as you say, to know how many people around the world are interested in this concept.
1: Well, it sure seems like a concept that most of us can take hold of. I know in your new book, uh, you ask the question, how do we begin to cope with loss that cannot be resolved? Tell us more about that.
2: Well, what we know now the researchers are showing us that people can live with loss and grief they don't get over it there is no closure nor should we should we want it it's better to learn to live with loss by finding meaning and some new kind of hope or purpose in it for example when my little brother died in the 50s of polio uh, before the sock vaccine came out our family was devastated But what we did was uh, help the March of Dimes by going door to door to collect dimes to increase the research possibilities. You will see that today, that many people who have a death or an ambiguous loss in the family will find a purpose to work on that prevents other people from suffering as they did. And that gives them a new meaning to life because is sometimes hard to find it when it's an unclear loss.
1: And if we never find it, then we can't get to the point where we understand it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious to know about children. I have three grandchildren, one-year-old, four-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And the four and nine-year-olds, um, my nine-year-old is really having a challenge with dealing with loss, uh, loss of friends, with school, you know, not having the people always in school. She's not always in school. She has to come back home and get on the computer again. And we can see the frustration. We can see how she is dealing. <laughs> with the loss of it all, what advice would you give parents who can obviously see in their children that ambiguous ambiguous loss is there? How do you start the conversation?
2: Well, I think children understand ambiguous loss. You can say it's an unclear loss instead of using that word. Um, but they understand if you say that you don't understand it either. That it is a loss that is not easily understood. Like, for example, when Grandpa Died or something like that. Uh, And there are books about um, this sort of lack of clarity. Um, The thing is that we as parents have to understand it first, and that is we're we're a nation of mastery-oriented people. We like to fix things and find cures and have a definitive answer. And with the pandemic and with a lot of our troubles today, There is no definitive answer yet. Uh, You know, the scientists came up with one to help us with the COVID virus, Um, but certainly our social problems are not solved yet. And I think that's good to tell the children that we're working on it, but there isn't a definitive answer yet, and that we can tolerate ambiguity that is not knowing right now regarding some of those losses. Um, you know, they're, they're young, so there, there will be a chance to make it up. But I think one way um, that a psychiatrist told me about increasing our tolerance for ambiguity, and I'm talking about the elders now, the parents, but also the children, and that is to get in a car and say to the child, let's get lost, and that they so enjoy that kind of a ride Uh, without a plan, without a destination, with the surprises that turn up uh, because you don't quite know where you're going, and that this game you play with yourself and with your children um, is a way to increase our tolerance for ambiguity. In fact, I did it with my husband, um, Dudley Riggs, when he was not able to walk anymore, and I would say to him, north, south, east, or west, And he would say which direction, and we'd head off getting lost. And it was such fun for us. And I can tell you, children love it. So it's one way to increase our tolerance for ambiguity because, believe me, there are many problems we have today where we can't have our way, where we don't know the answer, and where the answer might never be available or it might take a time. A long time for it to come forth.
1: I love that you mentioned that particular game. I have played that game with myself in every city I go into that I have never been to before. I rent a car and I get lost and I find oh, I my that. way. <laughs> just find my way and I learn so much. Sometimes I meet people when I park to go in and get coffee and I get to stop and talk to people. So you're absolutely right. It, it's, you have it's, a so- high
2: tolerance for ambiguity. On a test you would score high.
1: <laughs> I never thought I would after reading about about <laughs> you and your books. So that's great to hear. But I I will encourage that bringing my granddaughters with me so that they yes, too can learn what them, that means.
2: You know that what what's happened is you know I'm old enough to have lived through World War II. I was uh, a preteen at that time, and that was four years long of being afraid and scared and knowing that horrendous things were taking place. And we were afraid that uh, what was happening even in our own country, whether it would come here. Um, Now today, nothing uh, up until the pandemic, life was pretty good. Um, Not, not for everyone, of course, but we didn't have any wars on our soil and, no pandemics and so on and then boom all of a sudden something comes a virus of an invisible enemy covers the entire globe and we have to stay home we can't see our friends i would i would uh, explain it that way to a child that now and then we can't have our way and it will be all right mm-hmm.
1: So many parents don't necessarily take that step. (laughs) You and I know for sure that we should.
2: I know. I I know. I am
1: so glad that you joined us tonight, Dr. Boss. Thank you very much, and I look forward to your new book, your next book, coming out.
2: Well, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see.
1: (laughs) Thank you again for joining us here on WCCO Radio.
2: Thank you, Geraldine. Thank you so much.
1: Take care now. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.